Welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I'm broadcasting from WOUF Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or follow button, be sure you go ahead and do so. Coming out with brand new episodes every single Wednesday for you, you're going to want to check it out. And if you haven't left me a rating or a review, hey, please do so at this time. I want to know what you guys are thinking out there. Let me know what you think about the show. And speaking of the show, we have a great one lined up. First segment today is going to be about adopting a dog. A little information on what it takes to rescue a dog and how to make that transition smooth from going from the rescue to your house and lots of good information in there. Then we're going to have our guest spot and today's guest is going to be the executive director of the Bush Wildlife Sanctuary down in Jupiter, Florida. Yes, Amy Kite is coming on the show. She came into the studio to talk more about Bush Wildlife. A lot of cool stuff going on there. They've got a new podcast out. They're going to be moving their location. They've got to get 200 animals moved. It's a lot of awesome stuff. So it was wonderful getting to know her and you're definitely going to want to have a listen. Following that, we have our Breed of the Week, and then we're going to have our listener Q&A. And of course, guys, as always, if you have any dog-related training questions, any animal questions in general, you can email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. But before we get going, got to give you that trivia question, and today's question is, what is the state dog of the state of North Carolina? Yes, what is their state dog? And of course, I'll give you the answer to that question in today's podcast somewhere. So be sure you stick around. You're in for a real treat. Enjoy the show. Next on Speak Dogcast, it's all about adopting a dog. Adopting a dog can be a really exciting time. Yes, of course, you know, some people go to a breeder, some people adopt. Uh, I'm always an advocate of uh, adopting, of course, because there are a lot of dogs out there that need to be adopted. Now, with that said, I do understand being partial to certain breeds and, you know, obviously breed traits and breed characteristics. That's going to be dependent upon, uh, well, you know, the type of dog you get is going to be dependent upon your lifestyle and things that you like to do, things you're interested in, and you're going to want your dog to match your energy level. So, I do understand people wanting a specific breed, and sometimes there are just certain breeds out there you just don't see in rescues. I get it, I do, but of course I always want to push and say, hey, go out there, go adopt a dog. There are so many dogs that need a home. There's amazing rescues out there that are particular to breeds. I mean, I've seen Doberman rescues, Golden Retriever rescues, German Shepherd rescues, even small breed rescues, Shih Tzu rescues. Um, Really, I've seen them all. So, Think about that when you when it's time to get a new dog that maybe you could check into adopting and see if that's a possibility for you and your family. So that's kind of the first thing I want to say is always consider adoption first. You know, there are a lot of irresponsible breeders out there. There are a lot of people who are breeding dogs that just shouldn't be. Okay, that's just that's the reality of it. So I really encourage, I highly encourage you to check out adopting a dog before going to a breeder. But if you are going to go to a breeder, Make sure you do your research. Make sure you're contributing to responsible breeding, okay? Because really that's the only way it should be getting done is responsible breeding, genetic screening, uh, making sure we're passing on good genetics, making sure we're breeding a good line of dog. So that's always in the animal's best interest as well for health reasons and things like that. So again, just, you know, please consider adopting if you are going to go to a breeder. 
make sure you're doing your research first, okay? Nothing wrong with people breeding responsibly. Now, again, we're going to talk about more adopting a dog, okay? So, you know, the first thing I, I think you need to think about is kind of what I touched on. Know your lifestyle, guys. Let's be realistic about who you are, what your interests are, what your energy level is. Do you like to sit on the couch? Do you like to go swimming? Do you like to go hiking? Do you like to go to the beach a lot? Are you a really active person? Are you a moderately active person? Do you like to walk? Do you absolutely hate walking? You know, if if those, those things are, are hitting a bell for you, if they're ringing a bell there, then, you know, maybe you need to take into consideration specific breeds. Now, of course, that's harder to do when you have mixed breeds at the shelter, but the shelters do their best to identify the breeds and give you an idea of what that dog's needs will be. So you still should be taking into consideration when you have a mixed breed like that and knowing at least with some idea <laughs> what's going on there. And is it going to fit your lifestyle? Is it going to fit your family well? That's the first thing you got to take into consideration. Everybody walks into the shelter and they have, I'm sure, certain criteria Normally, I hear this criteria of like, you know, I don't want the dog to shed or I want a short hair breed so there's not as much fur. And while those, again, I don't have a problem with people considering those things as, as options, it shouldn't be your first go-to thought when you're adopting a dog. The first thing you should be thinking about is, is this breed going to match my lifestyle? Because if it's not, you can end up getting behavioral issues down the road if you're not fulfilling those dog, that dog's needs. So think about that when you're walking into a shelter. Don't just get taken in and suckered in by that cute face. It's hard to do. I understand. Um, but think about that. Be realistic. Know your lifestyle. Know your needs. So that way you can better fulfill the dog's needs. Now, the other thing, of course, the history of the dog. We don't always know the history of the dog, but really do your best to try to understand where that dog came from. If he's been rehomed five times, sometimes there's a reason, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just people not understanding the needs of that dog. So don't necessarily be turned off by a dog's history. At the same time, make sure you know the dog's history, okay? Really important stuff there that you need to know if this dog has a bite history, right? Um, why this dog has been returned five times. I encourage you to spend a little time with this dog before you adopt them. Okay, try to try to see if the shelter will allow you to take him for a walk, uh, spend some time in a social room, see how he interacts with other dogs, other people, those kind of things to make sure. Again, it's going to be a good fit for you and your family. So it's important to know if you can where the dog's history came from. Now, with that said, I don't want you to hone in too much on where that dog's history was, where where they did come from, because I don't want you to form an emotional attachment to that. A lot of times I find clients will use that sort of as an excuse once they adopt a dog. Oh, he had such a horrible background and he had a terrible life and he lived on the street and you end up over, you know, coddling them and that can develop into behavioral issues as well. So while they're knowing where the dog came from and some of their history, while it can be helpful, it's not vital because you know something, guys, no matter what, whether we know or whether we don't, it's going to be the exact same way to fix it. We're going to have the same plan, same training, same method. It's not going to change anything really, you know, knowing where that dog came from because we can see everything in the moment. The dog will tell us behaviorally, body language wise, it's going to tell us what we need to know about moving forward with its training. Okay. So keep that in mind is don't get too stuck on the history, but be aware of the dog's history. So if you find a rescue, I'm going to tell a little side story here. If you find a rescue that doesn't want to adopt a dog to you, what do you, what do you do? You know, 
people don't like to hear that. They, they take it personally and they get a little insulted. This does happen. You apply to a rescue, you're looking at dogs, and maybe the rescue says, hey, you know something, I, I don't know that this dog's going to be the best fit for you. Or maybe you don't have a fence in your backyard, and I don't think that's going to be the best fit. And so there's, there's my, there's, this is where the story comes in. I had a client a few years back who, um, you know, they wanted to adopt another dog, and basically the rescue told them no, because they didn't have a fence in their backyard. And the dog was a high-energy breed you know, uh, needs a lot of exercise, needs some stimulation, needs to be able to get out and run around. Now, this woman has had a lot of experience with dogs. She's trained a lot of them. She's had those breeds. She currently had that breed as well. So, you know, she was not happy when the rescue told her, I'm sorry, we don't trust you and you don't have a, you know, fence in your backyard. And she got so insulted. She wanted to drag my name into it. She was going to make a whole hubbub. And I went, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. A rescue has certain criteria and rules in place for those dogs for a reason. And the main reason is once that dog walks outside of their doors, once that dog is no longer in the care of that rescue, they can't control anything. They have no control over what that person that adopts that dog is going to do. But the only thing a rescue can do is try to set that dog up for success as much as they possibly can beforehand. And sometimes those things are their rules, like their criteria of we don't adopt dogs out like this that that don't have a fenced backyard. Why is that such a bad thing? The rescue is trying to do their best uh, to, to do what's in the best interest of that dog. So... I really can't stress it enough. Don't be insulted if a rescue doesn't want to give you a dog. If a rescue just maybe doesn't see it as a good fit. The rescue, the people at the rescue have probably been doing it a while. They see a lot of dogs come in and out of their shelter. They see a lot of people adopt dogs in and out of their shelter, right? They see a lot of dogs get returned to the shelter. So they might just have a little more foresight, a little more knowledge going into this than the average owner. So please don't take it personally if a rescue does not want to adopt a certain dog to you. It's 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 not meant to be personal. It's meant to be they don't know you. (laughs) They they don't know your experience with dogs. They don't know uh, anything about that. So once again, it's their job to try to set that dog up for as much success as they possibly can. Okay. So you know, hey, abide by the rules. And you know something? If you don't like the rules, if you don't like it. There are so many rescues everywhere, all over the country, right? You can find a dog in so many different places. So please go out there. Don't be insulted by rescues trying to do good work and good things. And you can always find a dog in another place. So just kind of, you know, put your feelers out there and find the right fit, not only with the dog, but the right rescue that's going to be good for you and your family. Now, once you're ready to adopt a dog and you know the dog you want to get and and all is well and you get the dog and you're going to bring them home, where do you go from there, right? How do you set yourself up for success of transitioning from dog at shelter or dog in foster care or whatever the case may be to being in your home with your family and your life? Well, you know, the first thing I'm going to probably tell you when you get home is you should go for a walk. (laughs) Yeah, you should. No, you really should. Uh, you should bring your dog home and you should immediately go for a nice walk in your neighborhood. That's what I would do. Now, of course, I'd put a martingale collar and a six foot leash on that dog because it's a brand new dog. You don't know how they're going to react. 
I don't care. No, no. And then this is in, this is in no offense to the rescue. The rescue could say he's great on leash, but we get to your neighborhood in an unfamiliar place, and all of a sudden there's a loud noise, and it could scare scare the new dog, right? So it's important that you have a tool to walk the dog that they can't slip out of. It's important that you have a tool that's going to be a good communicator for you. Um, so something like that that maybe you wouldn't think about when you bring home a rescue, but maybe you shouldn't have that dog in a harness. I've seen too many dogs just boom, slip right out of harnesses like it's nothing, okay? So maybe you should consider not having a nylon collar on that dog because boom, they can slip right out of those. You should have a martingale and a six-foot leash, and that martingale should be properly adjusted because if it's not properly adjusted, they can slip out of it. Highly recommend get with a behavior specialist or a trainer right away. Don't wait. We're going to talk about that in a second. So, all right, when you get home, go for a nice walk. Get the dog nice and tired. That's a really good thing to do. And not to mention, this will allow them to get some scent in and start getting familiar scents of, of around the neighborhood and letting it become, like I said, more familiar to them, right? Okay, go on a walk. We get them tired. We're going to come back home. You know, I personally, when I bring a new dog into my house, I walk them around the whole house with the leash on. I want to make sure I still have the ability to guide and direct their focus. I don't need them to get too obsessed about any one smell or one scent. And leaving that leash on and walking them around and guiding it myself allows me to keep control of that. So we'll we'll walk all over the house. We'll let them see the whole thing, take it in, all good. All right. Then we can have some off-leash time, play time, fun time, some affection time, all good there as well. Okay. Now, of course, I want you guys to give your new dogs affection. Absolutely. Absolutely. They need to feel comfortable in your home. It's good to bring out some dog toys, maybe some treats. However, be careful. This is a new dog. This is a new environment. Again, I look, I'm 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 not trying to be like all bum and glum and find the glass half empty kind of thing here. It's just I've seen I've seen and heard a lot of things over over the years in training. I really have. And it's not that I want you to be prepared for the worst case scenario or anything like that. But guys, it's it's a dog. This is a dog. This isn't, you know, this isn't we're bringing home a little hamster or a rabbit. Um, this is a dog and dogs have potential to bite. They do. And if you would don't know this dog, if you're unfamiliar with this dog, and hey, let's look at it the other way around, the dog is unfamiliar with you, then you need to be careful, be cautious, be aware, don't be scared, don't be living in fear, don't be waiting for them to do the wrong thing, but be aware, be cautious, be, be, be knowledgeable of this stuff. And that's why it's good to get with a trainer beforehand too, because they can help you out with this transition. Okay, I've actually done that where before people have even taken the dog home from the rescue, I'm already there in a part of the process so we can set it up correctly from the beginning. So I highly recommend, don't wait for a problem. Hey, maybe the dog will be fantastic and that's great. Money well spent with the trainer still in my opinion, guys. It's good to have a professional there monitoring it, knowing the signs to look for and teaching you guys what to look for. Okay, so keep that in mind when you're bringing out food, when you're bringing out toys. Keep it in mind if you have children, okay? Be cautious, be aware. Be, take things slowly with a dog and kids. Don't get the dog riled up and overexcited immediately with small children around, okay? I can't stress it enough that you just just be smart about these things. Think about those kind of things. Again, unfamiliar dog to you, you're unfamiliar to the dog. Both of those things can create a little anxiety and a little nervousness sometimes, even if it looks like it's overexcitement. So just be cautious. Just be aware. Uh, again, if you get with a professional, they can help you out and help identify some of those signals to you just a little bit better. So just something to think about, um, you know, when you're getting a new dog. Be aware of their new behaviors. Now, with that said, normally the first few weeks, um, 
either <laughs> I find it goes one of two ways, right? It either goes really, really well or really, really bad <laughs> when you're adopting a dog. And sometimes it'll go really, really well for a couple of weeks and then all of a sudden do a 180. And that's that little honeymoon period. It's a honeymoon period is what's going on there. Or like a deer in the headlights period is kind of what I like to, to refer to it as. Because it's a dog in a new environment. Everything's new. They're taking in everything. I mean, dogs can only, dogs can only focus on one thing at a time. So when you have a new house, new stimulus, new kids, new food, new smells, new this, new that, it becomes like almost overwhelming with the amount of stimulus. And it takes them sometimes a couple weeks to kind of take it all in, you know, I guess is a, is a good way to say it, take it all in and then kind of settle back down to normalcy and then behaviors start, bad behaviors, undesired behaviors, should I say, start coming out. Okay. And I hear that a lot with rescues. So it's important that you get on top of your training early from the second your dog gets there. And again, like I said, when you first bring your dog home, what did I say to do? Go for a walk, create that structure, the discipline side first. So, you know, don't wait for behavioral problems to happen. Try to get ahead of them by starting your training, starting your walking, starting your structure early when you bring a new dog in. It's really, really important, guys, okay? So think about that. Think about that. You want to try to get ahead of stuff. So, you know, adopting a dog can be a lot of fun and it can be a really amazing time in everybody's life, but there's a lot of different aspects you got to take into consideration. Now, some of these dogs come from some really rough scenarios, really rough scenarios, and those we do have to treat a little bit differently, right? Maybe we do need to treat a dog that's really fearful differently than a dog who's overconfident. Not maybe, we absolutely do. Um, <laughs> why I said maybe, that was silly. But yeah, you know, you have to consider each individual and I don't want you to go, oh, I see a nervous dog. I can give him love, affection and coddling and treats and food and help him forever. No, unfortunately, it's going to take more than that. Okay. Knowing how to deal with a really anxious dog, um, it takes it takes some knowledge, some skill and some understanding. And it's not that you can't do it, but the average owner is not knowledgeable enough to without working with a professional. Okay. So think about those things too. You don't just want to go in and save a dog. I know you want to save a dog. Who wouldn't want to save? I want to save all the dogs, but that's just not realistic. It's just not. Um, but think about it like that. You're not just saving a dog. You're giving a dog a life. And within that life, that dog needs a job. It needs fulfillment. It needs structure, rules, boundaries, and affection. I definitely want you guys giving your dogs affection. I want rescues to feel safe and comfortable in your home, but it's not just affection that helps animals feel safe. It's structure, rules, boundaries, and affection, as I always talk about, okay? Now, one other thing we have to talk about, you need to take your new dog to the vet. Yeah, one of the first things you really need to do is take your dog to your vet, get them checked out top to bottom, make sure they're in good health. No offense to some rescues, but let's be real. There are some rescues out there that are not being responsible. Unfortunately, I do have some experience with that. I have more experience with rescues being good and responsible, throwing that out there. Um, but some rescues will sugarcoat, lie, whatever you want to call it on the dog's on the on the dog's information, okay, had a had an experience in the past where someone was told the dog was spayed. It was not spayed. Hey, that was the dog. They were having trouble housebreaking the dog, and well, that was actually part of the reason why. <laughs> Got her spayed. Kind of helped take care of it. Um, so you need to take your dog to your vet. You know, before you even get a dog, really, you need to find a good vet. 
That's when you should do it. You shouldn't get the dog and then start searching for a good vet. You really should find a vet first. Okay, really just, I mean, we all know it's important. They need to be up to date on their vaccinations. We need to make sure they even have something like their rabies shot. You don't want the, you don't want that to be a potential lie and be walking around and not having your dog have that or any of the, you know, any of the necessary vaccinations that they need to keep them healthy. So you need to take your dog to the vet the first thing you do, okay? First few days your dog is there, you should already have an appointment set up with your veterinarian, okay? Can't stress that enough. I'm going to say it one more time. When you get a new rescue, one of the first things you should do is take your dog to your vet. So you definitely want to keep that in the back of your brain when you're adopting your dog. There's a lot of facets you have to consider. You need to understand the breed you're getting, even if it's a mixed breed. Uh, the, you know, rescues are usually decent at labeling what a dog is. Sometimes it's hard to tell if they've got like six different things going on there, but you can have some idea. You can look at a dog and go, oh, that's a little shepherdy. Oh, that's a little retrievery looking. Oh, maybe a little pit in there. Maybe a little, maybe a little bully breed in there on this one. Okay. And then you can better understand what that dog's needs and fulfillments will be, how much exercise it's going to need, how long of a walk, and then you can better match that to your lifestyle. Okay, Don't just walk in the shelter and see cute, fluffy little things that you want to just take home and love on, because of course that's a huge part of it, but be realistic about it. Go in with your brain first, heart second. Okay, Really, really important. Make sure you're getting a dog that's matched to your lifestyle, which brings us to their next point, the history, right? Your dog's past, what what they've been through. We don't always know, and it really doesn't matter whether we know their history or not. Sometimes it's helpful if we do know, uh, but quite frankly, the way we go about fixing those behavioral problems, anxieties, whatever the case may be, it's going to be the same whether we know the dog's history or not. Now, of course, rescues, guys, they, they have the right to tell you yes or no on adopting a dog, and we need to be respectful of that right? Rescue, what are they out there to do? They're out there to save animals and try to rehome dogs and give them great lives. And the best way a rescue can do that is by creating their own set of parameters and rules that they feel sets the dogs up for the best success once they leave the doors there, once they leave the rescue, once they walk out of there, they want to be able to know that they have done everything they can to set that dog up for success. And sometimes, sometimes that is turning people down. Okay, so don't take it personally. Go find another rescue if you're really insulted by it, uh, but don't get mad at them. They're trying to do what's best for the animals, and that's what we all want, right? Now, of course, when you get that new dog, you need to be cautious. You need to be careful. Make sure you're understanding its body language. Get with a professional. Get with a behavior specialist or a trainer, guys. Always good to do it even before you adopt the dog so you have a better understanding of what to look for body language-wise and behaviorally and be able to head off undesired behaviors and maybe even some uh, really not nice stuff, right? So keep that in mind. There can be a honeymoon period or a little bit of a deer in the headlights period for a couple weeks where the dog is really, really great, right? Or maybe really, really terrible for a couple weeks and then they end up evening out and they're all right. Sometimes that transition can be difficult for the dog. So please be patient when you adopt a dog. Be patient with it. Be understanding and make sure you take your time in the training process. Put in the time, put in the effort, Do what's necessary to create a balanced life for your new dog. Of course, guys, training, training, training. You should always be training your dog. You should not wait till there's a behavioral problem. You should get ahead of it. So hire a trainer before you have any issues. Because sometimes, sometimes we can see certain behavioral things happening that might snowball out of control and you may not realize it. We may see it before it's a problem. 
So I highly recommend training your dog before there's a problem when you're adopting them, making sure you're heading off any undesired behaviors so that way they never become an issue to begin with. And that one last thing, don't forget to take your dog to your veterinarian. Yep, make sure you get them checked out. Uh, even after you've taken them from a rescue, even though they may have said they're up to date on everything, get them double checked out by your veterinarian. So if you keep in mind those kind of tips and, and a little bit of advice there when adopting a dog, keep those things in the back of your head and you'll be set up for more success. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and more. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com. Or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Potts. Located in Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our guest spot. And today's guest, we're welcoming to the show Amy Kite, the Executive Director of the Bush Wildlife Sanctuary. So please help me welcome to the show, Amy Kite. How are you today? I'm great. How are you doing? Doing excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here and, of course, coming up all the way to very far drive to Palm City. Oh, I love Palm City. It's <laughs> yeah. so beautiful up here. Isn't so it? thank you because... Yeah. I might make a few stops at the feed store for my way home. <laughs> yeah, we got the feed store literally two seconds away. It's, it's awesome. It's, it's, it's so a convenient. great feed store. It is. It's great. It sounds silly and ridiculous. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, isn't that funny? Great pizza. No, but it is. It's awesome. That's animal people for yeah, you. Exactly. You know, priorities. Exactly. I love it. No, that was, it was so funny. We looked at this property and that was like the first thing I noticed is, oh my God, the feed store is literally 30 seconds away. That's perfect. <laughs> uh, anyway. All right. So welcome to the show. And uh, you're from Bush Wildlife Sanctuary. And those who don't know, Bush Wildlife Sanctuary, uh, um, you know, they are located in Jupiter, Florida, and I'm actually just going to hand it off to you. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about you, uh, the organization and what you guys do? Sure. So Bush Wildlife Sanctuary is a wildlife hospital. We take in sick, injured and orphaned wild animals, primarily native to the state of Florida. And the goal, of course, is to get them feeling better and then kick them out, <laughs> get them back out in the wild where they belong. And what we really noticed as we first started the organization back in the early 80s was that most of the animals that were coming to us were actually affected by humans. So lots of by car, fishing line entanglement, electrocution, kept illegally as pets, attacked by pets. I mean, the list just tends to kind of keep going on and on as time goes on. Um, and so that really led us to believe that there was a real need for education and to teach people about coexisting with wildlife. And so that became the second part of our mission was not only the really humanitarian effort of taking care of the animals, but also trying to come up with a longer term goal of conservation and education through preservation. Nice, nice. And uh, how big is the property? 
Funny you ask that. So currently we are located, we, we license about 11 acres from the Loxhatchee River District, and we're built on about six, and then the rest of it is still natural. Um, we have been seeing a massive increase in the number of animals we've been getting in, and also the number of visitors who've been coming to see us. So just last November, we purchased a new parcel of land, which is just about five miles from where we're currently located. Nice. Um, it's 19.4 acres. So we will be able to vastly expand our abilities to care for the animals and also to, to accommodate more guests. Nice. That's really cool. So is the plan kind of to split wildlife hospital and exhibits or, or like permanent residence rather? Well, on that 19 acres, yes. So we're okay. going to move the entire Should operation. Move, okay, the entire yeah, thing. because oh. being a nonprofit, you really have to multitask your staff and your volunteers. So you might be one hour at the hospital and then sure. running over to the sanctuary side to feed animals, something like that. So the whole operation is going to move. But this really gives us the ability to section off parcels of the land for each purpose. Nice. So roughly five acres will be strictly focused on rehab we'll get it as far away from the human element as we can so not hearing people walking through the the sanctuary um you know of course visually keeping it all blocked off and then the rest of the property part of it will be left natural and then the rest will be for the guest experience that's cool that's yeah, fantastic. We're very excited. Yeah, yeah. So, is it what's the uh, what's the timeline on that? Well, uh, right now or we're rough. at we're at about fourteen months from now. We'll hopefully oh, wow. be moved. So it's really a pretty quick turnaround. That's for fantastic. Us. That's really cool. Yeah. Nice. So, how long ago did this kind of come to fruition? Well, you know, we've been on the property that we're currently at for over two decades, mm -hmm. and we were coming to a point where there was lease negotiations, and both agencies have grown exponentially while South Florida has grown as well. And so each of us kind of were like, well, I need this, and I need this. And we took a step back, and the goal has always been to own our own property. And it was kind of like, is this the moment to do it? Of course, there's a global pandemic. Why not, you know, do a huge move in capital campaign? Um, but it just really seemed like a good fit for us by looking at the amount of guests and the amount of animals in the time period we were in. It's like, you know, we're just going to jump in and do it and go for it. And so it's uh, some days I question. It's <laughs> <laughs> a huge undertaking. I mean, really? Yeah, it's a very big undertaking. ginormous when you really think about it. We've got about 200 permanent resident exactly, animals that are yeah. permanently impaired. Yeah. So bears, panthers, eagles, otters, alligator. And that's what everybody wants to know is like, well, how are you going to move them all? And Carefully. Carefully, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, but we've actually started that process a year out injection training and crate training yep. and target training and some people probably think it's a little insane but anybody who's in the animal field knows the less stress and just making a part of your everyday routine exactly. and switching it up on moving day yep. is going to be the safest and most effective way to, to handle it with the least amount of stress exactly exactly and we talked about that before when i had a previous guest on um that exactly a lot of you know zoos and sanctuaries and those kind of places the behavioral training, a lot of it is logistical, you know, just being able to get temperatures or, or move animals or be able to give them vaccinations if they needed shots, those kinds of things. And it's, I just kind of wanted to point out if everybody heard that a year, <laughs> a year before they're moving these guys is when they're starting to do this training. Um, so, okay, yes, most of you guys have dogs out there that you're training, but that's how long the process is going to take to do it correctly, uh, to condition these animals over time and make them feel comfortable so that transition is going to be healthy and, and cohesive for everybody. Um, so same kind of thing, guys. You're not going to train your dog in a week uh, to come back to you every time you call its name. So, hint, uh, hint, wink, <laughs> wink. I, I do that a lot on here. I give, I give a few hints on here. Um, so yeah, that's cool. That's really neat. Uh, so how, how did you get into rehabilitation work? 
Oh my goodness. Okay. So if we, do you want the whole story or just, why not? Let's dive in, man. (laughs) How much time you got? As much Um, as we need. (laughs) So basically I started working in my first veterinarian's office when I was six years old. Um, and it was a family friend. Uh, my family grew up in Ohio and moved down here after my father left the military and a childhood friend of his was a vet, happened to be in the same town as us because who doesn't come to Florida to get away from Ohio. And, um, I just went up to her one day and I said, I'd like a job. And she kind of laughed at me because who gives a six-year-old a job? But this was the 80s and she did. <laughs> sure, come in on Saturday. And I stayed there um, until I was in my 20s, actually. Every Saturday, every summer, late nights, whatever it might be. And at that point, as I got older, also the animals that I grew up with were getting older. Mm. And you're in your early 20s, in my late teens, and you're finding out that you know this poor dog has passed on or what have you. And it just got to be very, very sad for me. And there was a woman who, whenever someone brought in injured wildlife, they'd say, call Sue. Who is Sue? Who is this person? She's like this magical unicorn that we always call when really cool things come in. And so she came in one day and I just said, what do you do? And I work at a wildlife hospital. I had no idea they even existed. And she said, come volunteer with us. And so I did. And that was the end of it. I started as a volunteer, got hired, and then just kept working at it. Never in my wildest dreams having a goal of becoming the executive director. It just kind of was the path it took me on. And I'm I'm very grateful for it, but I'll take any chance I can to get away from the desk and back out with the animals. Yeah, yeah. No, I get that. So I know we kind of briefly touched on it. Um, you know, obviously a lot of the wildlife, if not majority, I know there's a handful that probably aren't, the majority of the wildlife you guys get uh, native species to Florida. Mm-hmm. So what, what are some of the other, I mean, I know you kind of touched on, but go through some of the animals maybe tell us some of your favorites to work that you get to work with or see or sure so i mean the most common animals we get in that's often a question we get we get a lot of rabbits in we get a lot of virginia opossums in um a lot of ducks and generally that's just sheer like brood size if you will you know Mm -hmm. or if you have a mama possum that gets hit by a car and she has a pouch full of babies being a marsupial you're going to get an entire family in rather than just one specific animal so those are kind of the most common we get in i mean i don't know anybody who doesn't love working with baby mammals. You know what I mean? Even when they're wildlife and they hate you, which is great, you want them to, (laughs) you still can't help but look at a baby otter and just think, "Ah, just squish it, (laughs) you know? Um, But the birds are always fun. It's, there's a lot more, I think, that goes into the, the bird brain <laughs> um, and yeah. learning how to deal with them yes. and and how to work with their natural behaviors and again in a safety type situation you know so many people get very very concerned about you know the panthers and the bears and things like that and yes you do have to be very cautious but when you're working with a bird of prey mm-hmm. and their mind is always way ahead of you and they're a predator themselves it's a totally different ball game and oh, so yeah. those are always very very interesting to work with and to deal with Definitely. so I, I hate to play favorites because i feel like you get back and one or the other is going to be upset with you which i know is just putting human emotions on them um but i just it, it, at this point in my career because i've been doing it for so long anything that's different yeah. You know, getting yeah, in a that. different kind of case, sure. something that you've never seen before is probably the thing that gets most exciting because sure. you got to figure it out. It's a new puzzle to put together versus something you've seen many, many times. Yeah. And especially when you're talking about the medical field, I mean, it's practicing medicine. It's constantly changing. There's always something different out there that's going on, whether that be unfortunately a new disease that you're up against. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the injuries tend to run you know, pretty basically the same, but there's also all these new techniques. And the wonderful thing about wildlife rehab that I really like is because the wildlife doesn't have owners per se, 
you can work with veterinarians who want to donate their time with these new techniques. So sometimes we're actually on the forefront of medicine because we have that ability that, that there's not a liability with a, an owner sure. who's holding you to, you said this was going to work. I don't know if it's going to work. It's a practice. We're practicing. Sure. And so that's been really, really interesting to, to do different um, studies, if you will, on patients and try out new techniques. Little, cool. little renegade medicine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed, I think it was, it was on Facebook. You guys just got a, or maybe you've had a pelican in. Are we talking about RV? Uh, yes, RV. Thank okay. you. That was the name. Our viral pelican. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you tell us a little about him? So RV the pelican is actually a baby pelican, a juvenile pelican, mm. if you will, um, who didn't migrate. He was up in Connecticut in this really, really cold weather has set in and he didn't have the ability to migrate south. He wasn't trying it. He was actually on a frozen lake. And so he was rescued and he was taken to a wildlife facility in Connecticut. And they don't really do a whole lot of work with pelicans. And he's really not even supposed to be there right now. Exactly. And so it got a little attention on their social media page. And a few of their volunteers actually have a little two-seater airplane. And through a volunteer that they had that used to volunteer with us, they said, oh, Bush Wildlife, there's a lot of pelicans. You know, why don't you reach out to them? And the pilots were like, we'll fly him down to Jupiter from Connecticut. And so they kind of bunny hopped <laughs> in this little plane all the way down with RV. That's so cool. Um, got him down to us. He had pneumonia when he got to us. He's got cool. frostbite on his feet. So yeah, yeah. Um, the pneumonia is actually doing really, really well. He's, he's doing great on his antibiotics and his treatment. He's eating on his own now, which he wasn't at first. Um, the frostbite, it, we're still working on that because frostbite isn't something that's an immediate. Yeah. You know, the, the skin itself kind of starts to deteriorate back as time goes on. It's almost like a electrocution, but externally going in versus internally going out. And so we're, we're still gauging how much reconstructive surgery we're going to have to actually do on his feet. Interesting. Um, but he's become a little bit of a viral celebrity. Yeah. Um, thanks to his uh, his flight by plane versus wing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is interesting. That's cool. And then if anybody, uh, if you guys out there want to take a look at the website and you can get more information, uh, you can check out bushwildlife.org as well as find on Facebook. I mean, that's where I was just, you know, I happened to see in the newsfeed. Uh, my newsfeed was scrolling through and saw about RV. So yeah, you can check out uh, his updates. I'm sure you guys will be giving more updates on that as well. Definitely. So definitely check him out on Facebook uh, or like I said, bushwildlife.org. So that's cool. Yeah, a lot of different, um, a lot of different wildlife in Florida that, you know, people are unfamiliar with as well. And I think my favorite, some of my favorites to deal with and work with are the, are the reptilians and gators and <laughs> crocodilians because they get such a, I think they get such a bad rap as just being big, overgrown, dumb animals. Oh, my goodness. And there's nothing further from the truth. Exactly. Exactly. But you've been in the industry for a little while, too. Yeah. I won't call out your age either. <laughs> but have you not seen a major shift in what people are doing with reptiles now from a training perspective oh, yeah. versus even a decade ago? Definitely. You know, a decade ago it was. It was just manhandle them, move mm -hmm. them around. And like our alligator, we have an alligator named Freddie. She was hatched prematurely. So she does have some developmental issues. She's in her 30s. 40s now. Oh, wow. Gosh, Freddie. Um, <laughs> but we've actually got her trained to a bell to come for her food, take mm -hmm. it off a set of tongs, because her enclosure that we just recently did is so large for her. You don't want to just throw food out there willy nilly and hope she finds it. So she actually, she's got her training schedule and she comes up to the sound of it and she takes, you know, and that's something that a decade ago, probably if you would have told me we'd be doing that, I'd be like, you're insane. You know, we didn't <laughs> know their capacity. Yeah. And um, I just love it. Yeah. I think it's so awesome. It's so fun yeah. to watch her. Absolutely. <laughs> You know, I have to say, it, I mean, I'm, I'm from Orlando. Uh, 
Um, and I don't know if you guys have even, I've heard, maybe you've heard of Gatorland. You've been in the area. Well, yep. I just hit me here, West Palm Beach. You know it. <laughs> uh, but there are a lot of people in the, who have been in the area for years and never heard of them, even animal people. But I was going to say, I have to give Gatorland at least a little bit of credit because they are one of the only... I would say reptile shows that have been doing that kind of thing yeah. for a long time. Um, and, you know, I, I was just talking about this where we had to move. I was up, uh, at an exotic rescue. We had to move a gator. We were moving enclosures. And this is when I was really starting to learn how to handle larger gators. And I had gone in the enclosure and the gator just wasn't having it. Just wasn't having it. Just was not interested. And then another guy comes in who the gator has known his entire life. And he just goes, shh, puts his hand right on his nose and the gator calms right down. And people go, no, there's no way he knows that person. I go, you'd be really something me of a pea-sized brain guy guys, but you'd be shocked um, at what they can recognize. And again, animals are just, we're all creatures of habit and patterns and repetition. And like, you know, like you said, using a bell and conditioning with food and teaching them that it's amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, I compare it to like when you have a fish, when you have a goldfish and normally people feed a gold, they don't even realize it, but you feed the fish at the same spot in that tank every time. And what happens when you walk up to that corner of the tank, all of the fish come swarming over to the corner. Well, guess what? You just conditioned and trained that, you know, even something as simple as a fish. Did you know uh, a goldfish can go through a maze? Yes. Yes, I did. I've seen. <laughs> See, I thought I was so special. When I was in fifth grade, okay, my my parents love animals, but they're the kind of like, oh, we have a dog, you know, whereas I want 30 dogs, you know, and um, so when fifth grade came around and it was a big deal for everybody in fifth grade to do their science project, I did could a fish go through a maze because I was going to get a pet out of it. I couldn't care less about the science part of it. I just wanted another pet. (laughs) (laughs) And so it was, you know, my mother was like, are you kidding me? You know, and yeah, it made it all the way to the state finals and everything. And then when it was over and I thought I was getting my fish back. I'm like, where's my fit? Oh, we gave it to your cousin for her tank. I'm like, seriously. (laughs) That whole thing for nothing. All this work I just did with this fish. And (laughs) she gets to keep, like, the award fish. Great. That's awesome. So, yeah. I hold grudges. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, it's a... um... It's funny. I used to, uh, I used to keep all kinds of animals growing up, and I always told my parents. I said, "It's because you just kind of made me think of it." I always said, "I want a big dog. I want a big dog." So we had a little Shih Tzu, and that was the same thing. My parents <laughs> they love, you know, they like animals, but they're not me. Love animals. Um, not they're everybody not crazy. is. They're not crazy. There you go. You can say it. It's all right. I know it. We're in the same boat. Uh, exactly. So it's exactly. You know, this is exactly. a brotherhood, sisterhood here. So. <laughs> but yeah, I always said I wanted a big dog, and now you know, my first dog I went out and got out of college was a half lab, half Great Dane, and it would have gotten a Great Dane if you know we were. We, we were young and married and didn't know where we were living, renting a house, wasn't sure where we could get away with getting them great things. That's kind of funny. Same thing. Okay. Um, I mean, yeah. the second I got my own house, I just filled it. Right? And that's what you see, guys, parents, you can't tell your kids no to this stuff because this is what happens when you say no. You they know? go off the edge. <laughs> they go off the edge. Yep. yep. That's it. That's, that's it. it. <laughs> totally, totally off the edge. And then when I met my husband, it was like, okay, good. He's going to keep her in check. Now that she's living with someone else, he's going to keep her in check. And right after we got married, unfortunately, um, the dog that I had 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 passed away. Mm. And we went to a rescue group and ended up adopting two puppies, (laughs) brought those over to my parents' house, and they just looked at him and said, we had higher hopes for you. (laughs) And it was all downhill from there on out. Right. So does your husband, does he work with animals as well? He does. Yeah? Yeah, I brought him down the, the rabbit hole with oh me. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Ugh. He was working in the hospitality industry and... My wife was too. Got to the point, <laughs> we, we went on vacation and we were on the flight back and he just said, I am dreading going back. I really, really don't want to go back. And I'd always had it in the back of my mind. I had always, you know, the neighbors will ask, oh, would you mind feeding the cat while we're gone? Or, you know, older neighbor, I broke my foot. Do you mind walking the dog for me? And I said, well, I got one idea. 
but it requires more animals. And I said, what about a, like a legit pet sitting company, licensed, bonded, insured, website, referrals, really cover ourselves where it's not your next door neighbor or your friend, but strangers who are mm-hmm. going to let you into their homes. And I wanted to give animals the same care in their home when people are away rather than displacing them into a boarding situation sure. or anything like that. And um, he said, sure. And we started it within like two months and that's been five years ago now. And that's all he does is pet sitting and dog walking. <laughs> and half the time he tells the people like, oh, if you can't keep him, we'll take him. And I'm like, no, 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 they pay us. <laughs> Let them keep their pet and we right? will go there. We don't need more. Go visit every day. But no, like, <laughs> but he's so cool. I'm like, yes, at their house. At go, their house. go, go. Yeah, right? <laughs> Yeah, believe me, I know. I mean, we had uh, 11 dogs in the house today, so... It's a lot. It's a lot. It becomes a lot. Um, That's part of the reason I do boarding out of my home. Same thing. I wanted to create a home environment, a home away from home, if you will, and not make it too much of that kennel, you know, boarding feel too much and have the animals be comfortable, but... When you bring it into your house, it it becomes a lot. Especially when you have your own. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, I mean, we have we have four dogs of our own, and that's yeah. uh, you know. Luckily, my wife, while she may not work with animals, thank God she loves animals because I don't know <laughs> what the hell I would do if she didn't. Well, you wouldn't be. Uh, you would never have gotten we, we, together. No, we wouldn't have. That would <laughs> that would have been date one. Well, shake the hand. You know, I, I actually I have to give her credit. Um, she's really a lot. A lot. She's the reason I. Switched, well, switched professions, decided what I wanted to do and ended up going to animals. Um, you know, I'd always, my, my background, I'd always been told I had a great way with animals, but it was sort of like zoology, zoology or veterinary. You know, the biology side is the route you have to go in. Biology just didn't interest me when I was a child. Uh, and once I got older, I was really interested in psychology. Then I realized I had to work with people. Uh, <laughs> Game over. <laughs> and I said, I don't think I want to do this for the next 35 years of my life. Uh, and then it was it was my wife who actually had me <clears throat> watch Dog Whisper. said, hey, you should watch this guy. You'd like him. And granted, that's a different story for a different day. But that is what originally turned me on was the light bulb went off of, oh, my gosh. I could do this. Like I can combine psychology and animals and then work for myself, which is also a plus for me. Um, and that's, that's sort of how I got into it. So she's actually the reason that I even decided to, to go this route at all. She, she kind of said, you should put yourself out there and give it a shot, which was amazing. Um, thank you, Jen. And, uh, <laughs> well, and there are so many opportunities in the animal field. Yes. Because like when I was little and of course started volunteering at the vet's office, it was, oh, you want to be a vet. Mm -hmm. And I learned really, really quickly that I didn't want to be a vet. Yeah. I respect them. I could could never. Exactly. I agree. The animals don't normally like to go to the vet. They Mm -hmm. see that white coat come in and they are conditioned (laughs) that I'm going to get poked, I'm going to get prodded, something's going to happen. And I was more drawn to the nursing side of it, the tech side of it, because that's who's there when you wake up from anesthesia and that's who's giving you a cookie after everything's over. (laughs) And that really was like, no, no, I want to be that person because the animals are happy to see them. And that kind of led also into wildlife where the wildlife's not real happy to see you <laughs> but when you finally get to let them go yeah you know moment. it's that caring it's yes. that nurturing it's that there's going to be an end game we're going to get you through those shots but then you're going to see at the end what the treat is which is getting back into the wild again Definitely. and it and even now i mean um you know with the sanctuary being as large as it's become over the years you know we've got marketing people who yeah, they don't want to be the veterinary nurse, but they want to help raise money to take care of them or tell the story of RV, you know, all the way down to our welcome center manager where it's it's merchandise geared towards education and towards nature related and conservation. There's so many aspects of it that you don't have to be limited to that biology side yeah. of it. And I, I love that. Yeah, it's it's just fascinating. Definitely. To me. It's, it, you know, same thing for me, just behavioral. That's what I love is seeing the change. You know, you see where we start with a dog and then you see the changed 
um, you know, result, if you will. And that's what always, that's what feels good. Um, I really like that part of it. So yeah, Great. That, I'll drop my finish. dogs off. <laughs> More than welcome. Have yeah. fun. Good luck. <laughs> You're no, in for it. No, hey, you already know my, the, the, the part that I need luck with is getting you on board. Yeah, right? well, I'm, I'm not very compliant. <laughs> I will let Look. you know now I'm not a great <laughs> compliant owner. <laughs> that's the tough part, man. It's the follow through, you know. Uh, Look, I jokingly say I can get any dog anywhere, anytime to to, to change, but getting the people to do it. That's the hard part. So, um, so, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about, cause I mean, obviously you guys were affected with COVID-19. I mean, I was affected. My, my business was shut down for a couple months. Um, and I, you know, um, speaking of podcast, I want to give, give a shout out to the podcast. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, tell everybody about the podcast too. Yeah. So, I mean, with COVID, we were also shut down. We were mm-hmm. shut down for about two months. And for us, that meant no visitors coming in. And that also meant, you know, our education, our field trips and that revenue, our welcome center revenue was shut down, our donation jars, all of that. Um, but what wasn't shut down for us was animals still coming through the doors. Yeah. So even though we weren't having those revenue sources coming in, we were still getting animals. And on many days, actually, historically, more animals because people were home. We're home and are more around and aware. They're not on the go, running, 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 not looking at their surroundings. They're actually home. Oh, I'm going to go outside, get away from the computer for a little while. What's that baby bunny? I need to help it, you know? And so, and we had contactless drop off. So we were often, you know, we had it set up, call us, here's the enclosure, put it in there. And then we have to call them and go, can you come back and get it? <laughs> like, you don't need to rescue this. Um, so it was really a totally different way of life for us. And during that time period, a, a great friend and supporter of the sanctuary whose children come and, and also the community where I live in, they do a podcast, um, reached out and said, I think people just need to know this. And so we started discussing and, and what became of it is a, a short forum, like 12 to 15 minute long podcast called Inside Bush Wildlife Sanctuary. And it really started with documenting the closure due to COVID. And we've continued to follow up with now through the reopening and, and really getting into the rescue side, the rehab side, the release side of it. And um, what I think has been really fun is um, because it is short format, it's very palatable. It's very easy to digest. And kids are the one. I, I wasn't expecting that. You know, when we first started talking about it, I was thinking like, ooh, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and then it was like, oh, schools are listening to it and the classes are listening. And now we're trying to pair up like the schools use it as an assignment and then we'll do a virtual tour for them. We've oh, got nice. um, donors who have uh, are funding virtual programming and they're paying the cost for it so that the schools can still participate in these things but not affect their budget. That's cool. And so it was just like. Okay, this was totally, totally, totally different. Yeah, and and it's just been really, really fun to to see it. So I would I would love for everybody to check it out because right now we're set to do six episodes, and I'm hoping we can continue to expand upon that, especially as we go into the move, because mm-hmm. not many people move. You know, a lot of people would probably think of us like our setup. If you come to us, kind of more like a zoo situation because you've got the enclosures and all, and we got to build a whole new one and move everybody. Yeah. And I don't think anybody's really documented that. In a podcast format. No. I think it would be something really neat to yeah. do. So I'm hoping we'll be able to continue doing it and get some sponsorship. That's cool. That's cool. Hey, maybe I can even come back and get you guys back on when you really start getting, getting that moving. and Anytime. Talk more about it, too. So that's cool. Happy nice. to do it. Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. That's awesome. So you guys, are you back open fully now? Or? Yes. Okay. Yes. We've been back open since May. Okay. Um, we're open six days a week. People can come visit Monday through Saturday, 10 to 4.30. Um, we're there seven days a week for animal drop-off, of course. If anybody finds anything, they can reach out to us. All the information's on our website, or they can DM us, slide into the DMs, obviously give us a phone call. Um, and 
And what's great is just the technology. You know, if somebody does find mm-hmm. something, they can always send us a video or a photo or something, and we can help determine whether that animal's in need or it's a natural behavior for that animal in the wild. Nice. That's fantastic. That's really cool. And I would love to, uh, I was going to say, I'd love to be able to come down and check it. I, I haven't made my way down to, to you guys yet, and I know I need to. Um, I'm still... Still relatively new, still putting all my feelers out there and meeting everybody. I've been I've been very pleasantly surprised. I mean, I knew Palm City Farms would be very animal related, but uh, in general, I can't get over how many different um, wildlife centers and everything like that. You're just, right down just the street from Treasure Coast, exactly. Yeah. They're actually they, we're, we're we're talking, getting them on. They're going to be wonderful. coming on as well. They are. They're great. They do a lot of amazing work, and we'll we'll be talking with somebody from from Treasure Coast Wildlife Center as well. Um, and furry friends that's next door to them here. Yes. They are actually across the street from us at their Jupiter location. Are they really? Okay. So we've like when they had their grand opening, nobody could come because of COVID. So yeah. we actually brought our animals to their grand opening and oh, we did nice. an open house for our animals um, and brought alligators over and birds over and snakes cool. over and everything. So it was really a lot of fun. Oh, fun. Um, we also hosted, um, you know, everybody was doing during COVID, like the drive-by birthday parties and drive-by yeah. graduations. So we did down our street a drive-by gratitude parade and they brought some of their animals out. We brought some of our animals out and we just literally had people just come by and we just want to say hi, we just miss y'all. And we had hundreds of cars come through wow. and it was really something very, very cool. That's really neat. That's cool. Yeah, you know, it's like I said. There's just it, everybody seems to be very or, uh, animal oriented in the area, and it's it's just the, it's it's not even just the animal people. Um, I've really found them seriously between Palm. Look, I, I'm not trying. <laughs> Orlando's a big city, you yeah. know. Uh, it is, and people don't realize how big of a place it is, and how you kind of get lost within it, living oh, yeah. in a big place like that. And down here, it's a, there's a lot of face to face time, and you really get to know people, and um, it's just it's amazing and how aware of all these different facilities and the animals and the people. Speaking of, uh, Dr. Zenderman says hello. Uh, (laughs) Exactly. Speaking of it being (laughs) such a small world, Dr. Z said hi. Um, And, you know, it it just that whole kind of animal-oriented community thing going on down here. And I really like it. It's, It's really been a nice feel as an animal person. Uh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, even amongst the the animal organizations, the charitable organizations, Mm -hmm. there's a few different wildlife locations. And I'm talking all the way from Melbourne, you know, a little bit north of here, down south into the Fort Lauderdale, even into Miami area. There's a nice cohesion of a lot of people who are in it for the animals. Yeah. You know, for us locally in Jupiter, you've got Bush Wildlife, you've got Furry Friends, and you have Loggerhead Marine Life Center, and their yeah. focus is sea turtle and ocean conservation. Yeah. And we all love working together, and I think that that's a rarity. Definitely. In a lot of areas, Definitely. you know, because all of us are nonprofits, we all rely on donations, mm-hmm. but people are going to donate to what they want to donate to. Mm-hmm. And everybody seems to understand that. And if an animal is getting help, then that's fine. Exactly. It's not a competition. It's not a race to see who can get the most. It's a race to, to save as many animals as we can. And and I do find that to be very unique here. And I find that to be one of the greatest compliments is when the organizations work together and rely upon each other. Definitely. So, okay. You know, I want to, I just kind of want to recap so everybody can, you know, check out Bush Wildlife, uh, bushwildlife.org guys. Um, that's the website you guys can go see if anybody wants to donate. I assume you guys have all the donation stuff up there as well. Oh, so yes. donations are always welcome as of course they're a nonprofit helping rehabilitate native wildlife. And of course the end goal, the end mission is to always get them out of their facility if they can and get them back out into the wild. 
as we all know, that's not always the case. Sometimes uh, some of these animals need to be permanent residents. And of course, that takes gracious donations from people like all of you. So please head over to that website if you guys uh, want to make a donation. Hey, if you're in the South Florida area and you want to volunteer, you can reach out bushwildlife.org as well. As you heard, they've got that big project coming up. I'm sure there will be a huge need for people uh, to be building enclosures and doing all kinds of things. So check them out on Facebook. Um, check out the new podcast as well, Inside Bush Wildlife Sanctuary. Uh, you guys can definitely give that a listen. And again, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really, really appreciate your time. It was a lot of fun getting to know you. And, you know, I hope I can come down and check out the facility soon and walk around and see everything. Oh, I, I, you yeah. need to. Yeah. Because I would love to show you some of the doing? training we're doing with the animals. And yeah. I've had a wonderful time. Thank you so much. Nice. It's, it's rare that you find other people with the same um, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that is very true. That is true. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Amy. And uh, and we'll, we'll talk again soon. Sounds good. Thanks. Now, any of you out there who've been listening to my show regularly, you've heard me talk about Southern Pride Gourmet Foods. Now, look, this isn't an advertisement. This is a straight up endorsement. Ken Co. over at Southern Pride Gourmet Foods, I know him very well. He's a great guy, small business owner, and more importantly, his products are amazing. Look, I love to cook personally. I really do. I love to cook. I love to be in the kitchen and I, I try to get better and I, I like to think of myself as a decent chef. <laughs> But I love using Ken's products in the kitchen because they're just so darn good. I can't stress it enough. They're incredible. Uh, look, I, I, I know some of you go, David, dogs and, and food products, they don't really go together. And you're right, they don't. But that's just it. That's how good these things are that I needed to come on my show and give Ken a shout out for this. Give him my endorsement because of how amazing his stuff is. You got to go check it out, guys. SouthernPrideGourmetFoods.com. He ships nationwide. Wide. You heard me right. Nationwide shipping. So go check it out. He's got spice rubs that I use on my steaks now all the time. He has got amazing olive oils. He's got barbecue sauces. The uh, spicy, like spicy, spicy apple butter barbecue sauce. That stuff is good. And you can also buy his jams and jellies. I've been using them not only on like toast, but I'm putting them on my proteins like barbecue chicken. Uh, actually, he makes a, a sweet potato butter. Oh, that was for dinner last night. I'm like, barbecue chicken. It was amazing, guys. I can't stress it enough. I'm going to say it again. SouthernPrideGourmetFoods.com. You got to go check it out. And of course, I have to give the endorsement of my favorite product of his, his beef jerky. Oh, he has a ton of different flavors. It practically melts in your mouth. It's literally, I'm not even exaggerating. It's literally the best beef jerky I have ever eaten. You know, I bought some beef jerky for my in-laws for Christmas from Ken. It's already gone and they've already reordered. <laughs> That's how good this stuff is, guys. I'm not joking around. I'm not messing around. Ken's a small business owner, a good local guy, and that's why I'm here to give him my endorsement and his stuff is incredible. Go check it out for yourself, southernpridegourmetfoods.com. Drop him an email. He's a great guy. You can talk to him directly. He'll make sure you get exactly what you need. Once again, southernpridegourmetfoods.com, where everything that they have is yummy for the tummy. Next on Speak Dogcast, it's our Breed of the Week. This week's Breed of the Week is the Jack Russell Terrier. Of course, these guys are a member of the Terrier group, and they can get to be anywhere between 9 and 15 pounds. 
Full of energy, spunky, ready for anything, the Jack Russell is known for having endless amounts of energy. These dogs, they want to go for walks, hikes, bike rides, play with a frisbee, a ball. Really, they just want to do anything to keep their brains happy and their body active and exercised. Now, this is not a breed for people with no dog experience. They kind of have an intensity and energy, and that can manifest into a lot of undesired behaviors if they're not given enough to do and they're not trained very well. Training can be a little bit difficult if you don't have the proper knowledge, understanding, tools, and experience, and they're also known for having a very high prey drive, so introducing them to small animals early is essential. Now, they're also known for being great with people, though, friendly with kids and dogs, too, so they can make a great companion. And for the most part, they're actually a happy, healthy, hearty little dog. You do have to watch out for a few things, such as patellar luxations, deafness, and some eye disease. Now, the origin of the Jack Russell, they've been bred for over 200 years. Originally, they were bred by Reverend John Russell, and these dogs can trace their heritage back to the now-extinct English White Terrier. The Jack Russells were bred to be fearless and energetic and efficient at hunting foxes. However, they were bred to pursue a bolting fox and not actually cause any physical harm. And we all know the Jack Russell to be mostly white in coloration, and that's no accident. Having a white coat can actually help differentiate them from the color of the foxes that they were going after and hunting. With all these attributes, they quickly became a popular breed among hunters, but post-World War II, hunting was on the decline and the Jack Russell became less of a hunting breed and more of a companion breed in popularity. But as we know, you must be ready to fulfill all of those high-energy needs in order to keep them happy and healthy. In pop culture, the Jack Russell made its way onto the set of Frasier playing the role of Eddie, where he received more fan mail than any of the other characters on the show. Now, Milo from the movie The Mask, yeah, that was also played by a Jack Russell. And of course, we also we all know the Jack Russell that played the title character of the children's television show, Wishbone. The answer to today's trivia question, what is the state dog of North Carolina? It's the Plot Hound. Yes, the Plot Hound is the state dog of North Carolina. These guys are a large scent hound, and originally they were bred to take down wild boar. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. First question today comes from Sarah in Jacksonville, Florida. Sarah asks, how do I get my dog to leave me alone when I am eating? Well, Sarah, we're going to start here. Um, <laughs> if I had to guess, somebody in your household or somebody at some point fed your dog food while they were eating. Even if it was an accidental drop on the floor, maybe there is a messy eater in your house or someone is directly feeding your dog. Either way, your dog got something out of it while you were eating or while somebody was eating. And that's the behavior. that behavior became conditioned and strengthened. And therefore, your dog now thinks they get a handout. So, you know, one of the easiest ways is honestly to just teach your dog a spot. I've talked about this in my past episodes. Teach your dog a spot. Teach your dog to go lay down on a dog bed away from you to help create some healthy space while you're eating. You can tell them to go lay down on their spot. Again, this shouldn't be like right next to the dining room table. Uh, it should be a little bit away and creating some space there. No, no reason you can't give your dog a bone or a bully stick, something to chew on, something to play with, a toy, 
uh, to be redirected on on the dog bed away from you. There's nothing wrong with that, and that helps reinforce that behavior of leaving you alone. But really, it's about guiding and directing them away and then reinforcing them staying away and giving you space. Next question. This comes from Mandy in Jupiter, Florida. Mandy says, My dog loses his mind whenever I go to leash him up. I can't even touch the leash without him hearing it and going crazy. What can I do to fix this? So Mandy, it sounds like you need to desensitize your dog, right? So what I recommend is, you know, a lot of people have like a leash hook. They've got hooks that they keep their leashes um, hanging off of in the house or something like that. What I recommend doing is randomly throughout the day when you're home, you're going to walk over to those leashes and you're just going to touch them and make a lot of noise with them and then walk away and go back to doing what you were doing. Your dog's probably going to come running around the corner in excitement and you're just going to ignore them. Okay, again, you're going to touch those leashes, walk away. You're going to do this intermittently throughout the day a handful of times every day. And what you're going to discover is that you're taking away that overexcitement of the leashes. The excitement's never going to go away. Your dog's always going to want to go for a walk if you've conditioned the walk to be a fun and enjoyable experience, right? But it's going to take away that overexcitement by desensitizing them off of that noise. Then once they start getting desensitized off the noise itself, hey, maybe then I'll, we'll work on actually sitting and staying and being calm with leash work. Of course, we have to create focus first in order to get our dog to relax, calm down. Uh, you can listen to previous podcasts to get more information about that. Um, but suffice to say, you, ha- you have to create some focus, get them in a sit, stay, reward them, and then leash them up once they're calm. But I prefer to start with desensitizing to the noise first, taking some of that overexcitement off of it, then try to work on the focusing, sitting, staying calmly part with leashing up, utilizing treats, utilizing focus, making sure you're reinforcing calm behavior, and then leashing them up. Now, a little side note about leashes, guys, especially like if you have a puppy and we're teaching them to accept a leash and collar, I always like to make sure I'm rewarding. Anytime I put a collar over my dog's head, any dog's head, I want to pet them and tell them good boy every time, good girl, to reinforce and and make them understand putting the leash and putting the collar on isn't a bad thing, okay? So that's just a good side note to take away from that. Anytime you're putting anything over your dog's head, neck, anything like that, you want to tell them good boy, good girl when they respond in a in a calm way accordingly. That'll wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. And a very special thank you to Amy Kite, the executive director of the Bush Wildlife Sanctuary, for coming on the guest spot today. Don't forget to visit their website, bushwildlife.org. If you guys are able to make a donation, please do. And of course, check out their new podcast, Inside Bush Wildlife Sanctuary. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget to get out there and walk your dog. Bye.